Hello and welcome to War Buddy. War Buddy! And uh, today is a very special episode because for the first time we have a guest on our podcast. And our guest today is our good friend Avery. Say hello, Avery. Hey, everyone. Um, Avery, I go to Grinnell, or went to Grinnell College, and now I'm just living in Grinnell. Um, I'm Sock and Shree's friend. Um, I'm an English major. Excited to talk about some things that I probably am not qualified to talk about today. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we're very excited. Avery is uh, a friend of the show and friend of ours. And uh, we've had many interesting conversations, and we thought he'd be the perfect person to pick to be the first uh, guest on our podcast. And um, so I'm going to just get right into it. What had happened was Avery had sent me uh, a link to this article that uh, Martin Scorsese had written in the New York Times, um, basically as a reaction to a sort of comment uh, that he'd made. Um, And it was basically about Marvel movies and big cinema. So Avery, if you don't mind, you want to take it away and just give a brief overview of uh, the basic foundation of this conversation? Yeah, sure. Um, so the, the basic outline, like you said, was he made this comment that uh, Marvel films are not uh, quote-unquote cinema. And then he, that was in a, um, an interview with, I can't remember the magazine, but then he wrote an op-ed in the New York Times kind of like trying to justify what he said. And it was one of those things where he kind of said, look, I'm not trying to say one's better than the other, I'm trying to say they're different art forms. That's how he starts the article, and then he goes through and basically talks about why Marvel's not as good as his films. (laughs) So, um, and one of the quotes that stands out to me is when he says, many of the elements that define cinema as I know it are there in Marvel pictures. What's not there is revelation, mystery, or genuine emotional danger. Nothing is at risk. The pictures are made to satisfy a specific set of demands and they're designed as variations on a finite number of themes. So that's kind of what, like interesting to me because I know a lot of people that love Marvel films. Um, and I think the first question I had, and I want to clarify, I'm not like a Marvel expert and I'm also not like a cinephile. I just like am an average movie watcher. Um, but I think that I'd like to know what you guys think. Do you think there's a distinction to be made between films like Marvel and other films, both like historically, like Taxi Driver, the Deer Hunter, those films, but also films are coming out now, Parasite, anything by, um, I mean, he says in the article, he says, I love films by Paul Thomas Anderson, Claire Dennis, Spike Lee, Ari Aster, Catherine Bigelow, Wes Anderson. He, he likes all those films, he's just trying to, he says they're different from Marvel. Um, and I want to know, the first thing I want to know is, do you guys think there should be a distinction made between these universes and these other films that are coming out, both historically and contemporary? I mean, I, I think about it in the sense of, like, um, what expectations attached and with Marvel movies there's almost a blind faith expectation that's attached even before you go and see the movie mm-hmm. of exactly what he was talking about right they're, exa- they're going to deal with the same amount the same kind of set of themes they're going to address it in very done ways um, and stuff and like you know uh, it'll be a bunch of action it'll be a little bit of drama a little bit of conflict and you you know how that's going to go and I think it like ties back to the concept of a blockbuster that I think began with Star Wars or something but Mm -hmm. it's like people are lining up to see the show before they have a full idea of you know what to expect and that has to do with um, the nature of the spectacle 
not so much the narrative structure itself mm-hmm. um and in some ways it ties back to what we were talking about um last episode i think uh, immortal picture stories where we were talking about comic books and how it it is kind of the visual aspects of cinema that i think are more important um and in some ways what makes cinema more accessible than literature um is the visual kind of spectacle of it and so i think that yes i do think that marvel needs to be treated as it, uh, settled in a different genre the same as i forgot sri if you can remind me the name of that transformers guy and the movies that he makes michael bay yeah mm-hmm. like michael bay films you know it's just that genre of movie that's you go in with the same expectation mhm mhm i actually uh, i think the message that avery sent me was <laughs> the first thing was are you a marvel movie uh, fan and then he he prefaced that uh, uh, with the uh, with the article he sent over and i think what would make me very biased in this conversation uh, would be the fact that both sakit and i uh, grew up in the exact time range that you have to be a young adult slash teenager growing through these marvel movies because i remember very distinctly um it was my what was it when i was 15th birthday when i was in the 10th grade that i taken all of my um friends from school as well as sakit and all of us had gone together to watch avengers in in the theater it was an insane experience and what i remember so distinctly about it was the visceral reaction the audience members were having to what was happening on screen and i didn't i mean specific scene where um you know um what's his name hulk who's played by mark ruffalo he turns and says i'm always angry and then he transforms and he beats the chitauri uh, thingamajig i don't know what that is right the the massive roar that came out of the theater at that moment it just blew my mind i was like wow this is crazy so when he makes that analogy to it being like amusement park rides and there's like you know even in amusement park rides you know there are going to be loops and you know how your reaction is going to be on those loops but you want to do the loops anyway uh and that's what makes those things exciting what i found was so cool about it was that it reminded me of some of the experiences i'd had uh in movie theaters with very very large uh larger than life indian bollywood films and things like that so uh um uh, specifically i think uh one of the people's movies that <laughs> sakitan and i have watched a, a couple is uh is rajnikanth movie so is a huge superstar from the south indian uh, specifically tamil film uh industry um i had never experienced or had an, a cinema experience with an english language or hollywood film where the people were having that same level of reaction to the movie on screen that way uh, that was that was what made it so so unique and i think uh, just to follow cuz i thought of the exact same thing um that you were thinking of as you were talking through it in terms of the tamil film industry and kind of our household debate of you know the way in which um appa will describe our father we call him appa the way he'll describe kind of watching one of these movies is kind of mindless and um you know and that that kind of dilutes in some ways the value of it in in a way that kind of looks down upon it sometimes Um, and I think that's exactly what this guy is doing as well. Where he says it's not cinema, and I think the way he's defining cinema has to do with um, maybe an academic or high art um, 
definition of it because on the other hand my mother has grown up watching these rajnikanth films and that kind of stuff and i thoroughly enjoy watching the so called mindless thing um because i'm comfortable with the with the understanding and the assumption that i don't need a narrative to guide me through um this mm-hmm. movie um to be entertained uh yeah no a thought i wanted to to put in here since we were on the topic uh specifically the fact that sakitan and i have grown up watching these movies and so it's difficult for us to be completely objective about whether marvel movies are separate or the same and um one of uh, as in whether they can be categorized differently and if so do we need to condescend to this kind of big budget spectacle kind of movie i would actually try and come to their defense in a way to say that if they were trying to just rework the same cliche which people began to call uh, a specific cliche that used to happen in the third act of these movies called the sky beam which is basically the way that they resolved the the ending of these movies many of them that they did and in fact even things like suicide squad follow the same trope uh, i would argue that they could not sustain without innovating some in some way throughout the franchise and there have been movies throughout these franchises that have managed to do that the first example for me was the guardians of the galaxy uh, movie which just managed to do a whole different thing from all of the other movies instead of being self serious it was actually a comedy movie and it used the soundtrack as such an important element and aspect to the movie in a way that was very very different from all of the other movies that were in the same franchise similarly what taika waititi did with thor ragnarok um and similar i think basically the comedy uh, element to some of these movies made them stand out and i think mm-hmm. in a way revitalized the franchise as a whole but you could even look at maybe the superhero genre uh writ large and maybe say uh the nolan batman trilogy movies or the more recent joker movie uh and and look at how these are still in the genre but are still innovating and they they're still artsy and they kind of blur the line between being purely commercial and being um very uh you know real and and um uh, you know having all of those elements that martin scorsese wants from a movie yeah i think that i mean to address like the very last point you said it's interesting you pointed out the the dark knight films because mm. edward norton who is a pretty you know he's been in a lot of films um that are very good and they're kind of like the more the artsy films and he was he was actually cast as the hulk and they cut him mm. out because his version of the hulk didn't align up with what marvel wanted and what he wanted was a more of a a dark knight artsy like serious right and marvel said no to that and he he really pushed back on them he has a quote it says um if you make fight club if you make birdman which are two films that he's in Somebody's mm-hmm. always going to be lazy and be like I don't have time for this. But they'll do 3 hours of Avengers Endgame. So it would force Gumpy made today, maybe with the right people, would Chinatown no way. And Chinatown is this very, you know, cynical, super cynical film. So his point is like thinking about okay, yes, Marvel has a lot of things that make us want to watch it, but as far as being something that pushes the boundaries of cinema as a whole it's not doing that. And mm-hmm. I think that ties to a, like the larger thing. I totally agree that there's a, there are aspects of Marvel that people want to watch. But I think what Scorsese and some of these other or people are saying if we look at the industry in general, cin- that's pushing out other films. Right. Um that comes at the expense of digital streaming, it comes at the expense of intellectual property because there's a lot of articles out about how Marvel is just gobbling up intellectual property from other film industries or film studios. Mm. and that creates a monopoly on creative content 
Hmm. And, and that I think has problems. And if you look at it from a, like a, a systemic level, people right. could say like, look, Marvel has good things, but there's so much of that thing now. That's a problem for cinema, and people aren't really wanting to watch the other stuff. Yeah. I don't know if that's an elitist. No, I, I mean that makes in in some ways it's a corporate notion even now. I think and in a lot of ways many of the things that you've uh, cited other people saying in reference to Marvel and kind of the action movie superhero movie um, phenomenon specifically is I think we can think of many instances at least Srivatsan and I can in our lives of how they are packaged products. Um, and very much kind of commercialized in some ways, right? You, um, in the lead up to uh, an Avengers movie, you will see street vendors in India selling um, an Avengers T-shirt mm-hmm. or a keychain, um, something like that. From anything, from something that small to kind of um, every kind of YouTube interview from kind of uh, Sean, what's his name, that hot hot wings guy. Um, to, right, you know, right. to everybody's now doing an interview with Robert Downey Jr. and so kind of the internet has been consumed by the craze around Avengers and so in a lot of ways I, I totally see what you're saying in the sense that it is it has become this kind of um, equivalent of a multinational corporation within the film industry in terms right. of how it's kind of all consuming um, at the expense of other things. I would actually again come to the defense of the Marvel movies and maybe say that Martin Scorsese's criticism specifically towards Marvel movies is perhaps too narrow and I think it's it's touched a nerve only because we know that people either you know like us have grown up with them and have a, uh, a, a you know there's a there's a strong part of us that that cannot say no to these movies or maybe there are people who just love these movies so much that they might be offended by his comments to say that they aren't real cinema um, because the pattern of large budget um, spectacle entertainment in films is a long running phenomenon that has preceded these kind of movies and it's been there since the 80s um, in Hollywood specifically, right? Because like Sakitan mentioned, there's the Transformers movies, similarly you have the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise or even more uh, famously and popular, the Fast and the Furious movies. There are many of these very, very large budget franchise movies that people uh, end up going and watching. So I would be careful to single out just the Marvel movies, though I understand the implications that might have for intellectual property and eating up, um, let's say, content space. I think um, three. I think the distinction here, though, is that Marvel and DC stick out because they have been cultural phenomena outside of um, visual media, you know, conventional film and or television, for longer than many of these other things. So they're kind of a lasting generational, um, you know, cultural uh, phenomenon. Like they started with comic books as people that, you know, the the merchandising of Marvel and DC has has been happening for a really long time from the people who are crazed about their mint edition books Mm -hmm. to you know having an action figure you know it's seen generations of stuff and you know it's grown with politics how captain america came um at the right moment opportunistically when there was kind of i think vietnam or something was happening or the world war was happening or something like that that's when captain america was introduced you know and that kind of stuff this is kind of sidetracking into comic book items themselves being commercial. Uh, I, I think the conversation is more squarely on films being very large commercial uh, entities instead of being smaller artistic products. 
And for me, uh, you have things like the Terminator franchises, even Star Wars, for example, which you mentioned started the whole blockbuster craze. And Star Wars is, I think, indubitably one of the most, uh, let's say, merchandisable franchises, whether it comes to Lego toys or whether it comes to, uh, you know, Chewbacca masks or whatever. And uh, my, my point is this, I think it, it is beyond this. And part of this has to has ties in with this sudden explosion of, let's say, multiplexes and the uh, global distribution of some of these companies uh, across continents. And uh, there's always, uh, you know, in more recent years, the conversation of China as a market, for example, uh, and how important it is. So the idea is basically that the business is becoming more about business and money and trying to make as much of, uh, of, you know, to make it as much about making money than about making a point or having a story behind it. Hmm. Yeah, I think one thing that someone would push back on and kind of side sock is there's an article written called The Narrative Experience that is the Marvel Cinematic Universe in New Yorker. And basically this, this writer of Maya Phillips has outlined that we can't put the Marvel cinema in the same genres as either episodic, like Law and Order and The Simpsons that have no narrative structure, or like the Tolkien universe, Star Wars, because the history of comic books from which the Marvel cinema came from, they all started in their own universe. Captain America was its own like the, the, Each of these stories started individually, mm-hmm. and eventually comic book writers began to realize, oh, like we can put these together. But by that time, they had a lot of inconsistencies existing in their independent, to put them together, those inconsistencies created. Maya Phillips said mm-hmm. that that works fine. It actually works to Marvel's advantage because the more consistencies, the more fans get engaged. Mm. Which I think is fine. I think that's probably a real thing. People love to debate like the the different the yeah. different worlds coming together, and I think that's a great marketing move. But I think, and this might be an elitist, but I think a lot of Scorsese and stuff would say like that's what is predicating what people go to is looking at mistakes in writing or inconsistencies in writing or. Another article, like you guys said, it said it's more about the experience of viewing it than the actual content itself. I think a lot of people would say that's problematic if that's the most grossing thing. And mm-hmm. that wasn't always the case in cinema. Um, mm-hmm. And more and more it is, if that's what multinational studios are getting away with. Mm-hmm. But then again, maybe that's like a, an elitist view of what what is good. If it has an emotional reaction, maybe that's all we need. Right. Um, I think uh, this is a good place to go into uh, the elitism uh, part of this, which I think is is very, very interesting, uh, where you can make the broader distinction in this conversation. If I were to bunch up um, the Marvel movies with all of the other commercial cinema that has exploded since the 80s, uh, and perhaps to art in general, instead of only specifically the cinema, uh, where, you know, elitism will will end up... uh, rather taking a lead perspective will create a distinction between what is art and what is entertainment um, and art is seen as something that has no pretense and is looking at what is real and truth and has mystery and all of these other elements that he talks about um, but at the same time by people who are of the popular um, let's say uh, leaning would look at it as being pretentious and um, the, the desire for people who are elite for something that's real and true is an only way of soothing their own guilt and their their lack of touch with reality and that's the only way that they can feel real experiences in their everyday lives that normal people experience uh, anyway all the time 
and as a converse entertainment is full of pretense and spectacle and being larger than life but it is that fantasy and this falsehood that's important for allowing people to have an escape into this kind of uh, movie because the more proletariat audiences um yes it can be seen as pandering to them but um perhaps that's a way for them to escape the the kind of uh let's say less privileged life that they that they don't really want to be thinking about for a while i think one more thing that i want to add alongside that as well is that if we look i think a really good way to kind of look at how we're defining what good art is is what we're paying attention to at award shows um right nobody really cares who won the vfx award nobody really cares who won the stunt coordination award because that's not what we're regarding as artistic um in a lot of ways it is it is extremely artistic you know to be acrobatic to be athletic um to be creative in your stunts is uh, they would argue i'm sure stunt people would argue that that is art um people who are doing set design and costume design um and vfx will argue that that's art but we're only caring about oh leo didn't win the oscar for whatever 10 years after the titanic movie mm-hmm. you know and i think that that is reflective of this notion of um art versus entertainment anything that's entertaining kind of takes away and i think one of the people in my mind that you know is placed right bang in the on the fence between these two is tarantino um that we need to talk about um because the the movies that tarantino makes are sensational they're entertaining they're but they're also artistic at the same time um mm-hmm. and i think that that balance maybe wes anderson too um i think nolan I, christopher nolan is another one i would put in that category right and there are people that i mean guy ritchie has cited um Wes Anderson for example and there are people that I would argue make art that's entertaining and so I guess I would ask how is that kind of entertainment like a Django Unchained pulp fiction entertainment different from an Avengers entertainment I think I mean I think what you said contradicted what Shree said actually because I think you can't I feel like you can't have it both ways where you're making a binary distinction between art and entertainment sure. and on the other hand you're saying well art can be entertainment which i agree with mm-hmm. i i don't know i think both points are true i think that right okay like yeah i think that tarantino has like a lot of stuff where it's highly entertaining and it's very artistic and has a lot of like deep subtextual like levels going on i think that what that's what scorsese would say too like i don't think anyone characterized scorsese's films as like not entertaining like the departed is so entertaining oh yeah but it right. also has highly high levels of artistic and like um philosophical like, mm. ideas with them i think that's what he's trying to say like we can when i'm not saying that we need to divulge from entertaining i think you'd actually say the argument that people don't want artistic stuff in their entertainment is elitist in and of itself because mm-hmm. you're not giving them the credit for what they want to right. like, consume so i think i think the argument's like okay like do you think there is a level of artistic quality in in marvel yes or no if it's no is that a problem Mm. Yeah, think, because I think no, if the answer if the answer is no and you think it is a problem, then that might be symptomatic of your condescension from <laughs> an elitist perspective. <laughs> yeah. Wait, say more though, because I think so. You do, so are you saying that there is uh, artistic elements in Marvel? Yes, I do, and it's precisely because of the point that I made before, which is that if Marvel were to merely take their template of every story. and repeated over and over again no one would actually really want to watch it i think that they were forced to over the course of their franchise to innovate and have some degree of artistic innovation without which their franchise would have eventually tanked 
and and the movies i've cited like guardians of the galaxy or or thor ragnarok for example are are ones that stick out to me uh, as having the most artistic um i would say voice behind them where they had a, a person had a vision and an idea instead of being um, merely a template that just regurgitates clichés from the previous movies in a different story format but then would you say that the movies that don't do that the movies that you haven't mentioned that are still part of this avengers universe mm-hmm. um are not are not as artistic yes so for example i would say that this they are pure entertainment but i would uh, you know i would prefer not to say that that is a problem and it's precisely because of what i said i think that uh the people who who do have the elite perspective and this is a based on the conversation i was having with uh apa our, our father um you know we were talking about shole specifically mm. and um this is in the context of me reading um nasiruddin shah who's a very well known um indian actor he's a very consummate actor and i get more into his stuff uh because his whole life it deals with this kind of struggle between art films and doing commercial cinema and things like that but the point is is that um the point appa was making was this is that um if you go watch a film like shole and like oh these dialogues are so cliche and we get it that these characters are larger than life and uh you know that they're going to watch amitabh bachchan and dharmendra on screen and not the characters that they're playing and none of this is really real all of this is spectacle um but maybe the people who are going to watch them have lives that are just so miserable back in the 70s that they just wanted to escape from it i think what martin scorsese would say in in the opposite way was that no i wanted to express this this misery in a movie like um taxi driver where the decay of new york city in the late 70s has been so captured so beautifully um he decided to take instead of the of the route of escapism to to go heavily deeply into realism. Mm. Yeah, I think that um I think that's a really 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 good point. I think um one thing I would want to like clarify is so do you think that um anything that is still bringing in a demand and expanding would mean that it has to have some sort of artistic or like deeper quality to it? or do you think that people things can just expand because they have a uh, emotional reaction and an audience that starts to build around the experience itself of watching because i think i push back that idea that like people keep going back to yeah movies just because they like because they are innovative i think people go back to things because they're not innovative because they're routine cuz they know they're going to get cuz they know they're going to get an emotional rush but they know they at the end of the day it's going to be safe and that's why mm. and marvel keeps expanding on that desire which isn't a bad thing necessarily um but maybe that's different than a film that makes us rethink i agree i think that i mean the concern for me is kind of depicted in how sitcom um culture mm-hmm. works right um sitcoms can only go on for so long especially a conventional sitcom like a big bang theory or a two and a half men before people um can predict and get tired of the template because there really isn't as much room for innovation um and that kind of thing so i think you're right i think there needs to be a push for innovation otherwise there is there's got to be some kind of um deadline on template driven predictable um mm-hmm. both narrative and visual structure yeah. which is why i think the movies that steven had mentioned earlier like ragnarok and guardians of the galaxy stand out as kind of redeeming qualities for people that are viewing it with that lens they're able to say okay you know avengers or mcu dodged a bullet here 
by innovating um and i think one of the really good things that i've seen mcu do is that they have started to contract indie directors or directors that aren't accustomed to making um you know an action movie so it's not a michael bay that's directing every next movie um in mm-hmm. most cases the directors change um the russo brothers for example they produced community um before they got into marvel which was a sitcom you know yeah. and, so and before that they were directors who on arrested development so they've been sitcom directors for at least half hmm. a decade if not more i didn't know that so and then taika waititi just doesn't make the kind of movie that avengers ragnarok is mm-hmm. you know and so um he makes very emotion driven um and funny movies he made jojo rabbit um which is a just a i'd comedy. like to cite another example which is ryan coogler the 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 guy who directed um black panther um the movie he'd made before that i think was um fruitville station which was about mm. um it was about uh an incident that had happened in san francisco on new year's eve of uh, police brutality that and it starred uh, michael b jordan also in that movie but that movie if you watch it it is very very low budget and it's extremely artsy in the way that it's done and you can tell that kugler is an indie director um and at the same time when you watch the marvel budget uh being given to him um he does manage to give it his own flair and yet it doesn't seem completely out of place in the rest of the franchise yeah i think the i just follow up on what you said like mentioned the black panther i think that like the whole counter argument to this and scorsese is like this is coming from a man and a industry that is so white, so male mm. that films that we think of as like classics are sexist, racist, like they maybe have subtextual levels like from a literate, but it's like okay, Black Panther, Wonder Woman, these are films that are like expanding right. to de- different demographics and like the idea that like what is Scorsese made that like expands in that direction, he hasn't. Um so I think that that like is a is a good point. I think that that Marvel is taking, like, not maybe risks, but they're definitely expanding in that way. I do think that mm-hmm. some of Scorsese's um, things are still stand. I think we talked about this on the phone a while ago about, like, active versus passive listening, and we talked about it in the sense of music, which I think is mm-hmm. an interesting parallel to, like, this whole conversation because I think this is just a trend in any media consumption. Mm. Um, and the idea that, like if we want to really engage in some of these other these other artistic films we we really have to be locked in the whole time um i think that game of thrones would also fall into this it's like you it's like a, it's a it's a film that you really have to be to be watching actively and thinking about whereas more and more when we think about entertainment mm-hmm. and i think those films start entertaining i think more and more when we think about entertainment we can kind of dip in and out and still understand where it is just like a lot of people would say mumble rap it's very, very different than what we think about when we think of, like, Nas' Illmatic. Mm-hmm. But I don't know anyone that yeah. really... I don't know a lot of people that listen to Illmatic anymore, but they still listen to rap all the time. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like, where do you think this falls in as far as, like, a, not just a production standpoint, but a consumption Engagement, standpoint? Engagement, yeah. As far as, like, actively or passively. And is that binary elitist in another sense? I think that's that's very very important but again this might go back to being a uh, sort of bourgeois versus proletariat distinction where um there are people who have now developed sensibilities and ideas about how they must approach art and there are those who might not be necessarily initiated or educated and they approach it without any cognizance of whether they have to be active about it and are by default passive uh and again 
I think it might be condescending to say that uh, being passive is wrong. I think what might be tricky is to is to wonder whether we're pandering to the audiences by making movies like these. And uh, I want to go into one of the things that I I read when I was uh, reading um, this memoir by Nasiruddin Shah. So to give a little bit of background about Nasiruddin Shah, he's basically he's a person who is an actor, but he was trained in theater primarily. Uh, he did a lot of theater work and he's really very, very, uh, let's say, intellectual and il- sort of from the elite perspective. And you can tell because the kind of things that he references are like Stanislavski's uh, method for, for actors, which is something that he relates and tries to identify with strongly in terms of being real and, and finding truth in your performance. But also he, he's, he's done plays um, in his early years by Ionesco and Bertolt Brecht and Anton Chekhov and things like that. So that's the kind of place that he's coming from. So his condescension towards entertainment isn't surprising. But what I think makes him and people like Scorsese upset is that, that they look at this as a craft and as something that requires technical expertise and years of practice. And that's not something that's appreciated by people who are not looking at it actively and that's only someone who's already educated about it to a certain extent would even recognize so to look at some of these things as artistic talents that are 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 grown and practiced and improved um you have to have an audience that is themselves aware and educated to be able to recognize and know a person who is technically very good at what they're doing who knows how to use a camera or who knows how to compose a shot versus someone who doesn't and it might be too much to ask of an audience to do that every single time i want to add another element here enter and say that in this active passive debate i think as somebody just in my perspective as a musician as much as i agree with the perspective that i think the craft perspective kind of uh, viewing or regarding art as worth something above others from the perspective that it's a craft that takes time has an element of condescension and privilege that comes from being educated a certain way. However, um, I think another perspective that I think needs to be brought into this active passive debate that uh, in my opinion, I don't think I would budge on is that it has to do with languages of respect Mm -hmm. for the artist. So from the perspective of the artist, um, for example, my guitar teacher, he had a band and he stopped. Um, They broke up because they ended up being contracted to play shows where they were just playing in bars to no one um you know and that that's because i think for any self-respecting artist you want to be engaged with you want your art to be active and not passive um Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways if that is your language of respect if engagement and in my opinion engagement really is if you have any respect for um your work and your craft and the the fruits of your labor per se um, then the language of respect and the respect that you give yourself as an artist needs to be expected from the audience as well. And so that, to me, translates as engagement. On the other hand, um, if ultimately what you're concerned with is money, um, that is also a different language of respect. And, in, in, and I think that justifies passive consumption. Um, because for an Avengers, it's about what they're making in the box office. Um, and are they able to break the last num last kind of milestone and pay these really expensive ensemble cast? At the end of the day, there is a certain element of that that's playing into it as well. So that, in my opinion, kind of justifies the passive experience of um, consuming it because fandom tends to be more fickle in that sense. 
Um, Avery, I actually wanted to ask you um, how you how you felt about this thing specifically, um, because the the active passive um, debate, but also going back to the the artistry of it. Do you think it's too much to expect of an audience to be aware of 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 the knowledge that should precede the appreciation of the art itself? Because that's what makes someone actively engage with it. I don't. Do you think that you need to know something to actively engage, or can you do it without any prior knowledge? And if so, is that expecting too much from the audience? Um, I think. Uh, I think that the more I think I, I I think you can't deny that if you have studied a certain um, medium like music, if you if you're or or film, you might engage at a higher level because you just know more about what's going on. That being said, though, if I was making something. I wouldn't. I think it's so elitist and wrong to make something that only a certain level of like literacy mm. could understand the emotional weight. And I think that like that's a whole nother idea of like the problems with like what we were talking about fine arts versus craft. It's like it's just like if you need a, if that if that needs to be the level you need to reach to enjoy something. I think that that's wrong. That being said, I do think that certain th- certain things ask us to keep going back to them. Like, a good song asks me to keep going back, because I'm like, I don't really understand that, I want to go back. But there's still elements that I enjoy. And I think that it goes for, like, t- like Taxi Driver is an incredibly depressing film. And I do think it's incredibly technical, and you and as a film, if you're a film you just go crazy over it. That being said, I think anyone like me, who doesn't know anything about film, can, like, see, like, the, the, the just the emotional weight of some of these scenes, and feel it, enjoy it, and it's very complex. But I don't need a technical background, and I think that's the key. Is like, I think it should be there for those who want to keep going deeper, but it shouldn't have to be to make the distinction between artistic and entertainment. Uh, I I absolutely agree because I think what ends up, uh, what people who are in the commercial world do is that they end up scapegoating the masses who consume their movies, uh, which and uh, which are commercial by saying that they're only pandering to their already existing tastes. Uh, and uh, I, what I want to do here is I want to read a small passage which uh, is there from this, this memoir that I've been reading. And I know I brought it up many times, but um, so much of this relates to our conversation. Um, so here goes. Let's not drag out the long, exhausted argument that the common man needs these films to get away from his own drudgery. What I find terrifying is the degree of dumbing down of the audiences that these films have managed to achieve, I dare say, internationally. A habit for consuming junk over the years has been created in the audience. They are now irrevocably hooked on that taste, and they crave it so that they swallow anything that comes thus packaged, and ironically, they're blamed for having been pandered to. The films we make reflect no one's inherent taste but our own. Every few months, when some nonsensical multi-star flops, everybody assumes the audience has finally come of age, but very soon they flock right back to something else equally shallow. It's impossible to explain. So, I mean, this is the, the idea of, well, so maybe the fault isn't of the audience who's supposed to be active. Maybe it's the responsibility of artists to push the boundary. And maybe that's what people like Nasir and Martin Scorsese are calling for. They're asking artists to take responsibility to say, you know what, you have a choice to make about what kind of movies and what kind of music you want to make. So as someone who produces or makes stuff, like how do you think that... That, like falls like if you had to choose between maybe like taking a risk and not having a lot of people listen to it 
and like knowing that like even if like 90% of the stuff maybe isn't like deeper but like maybe there's like a 10% you can work in and that would be listened to along like a, a lot of people like which one would you choose because I think a lot of people would see okay that's the other I think binary maybe not maybe it's a spectrum but on either end of the spectrum are two things right one is as an artist you can take the perspective of I am trying of self-expression mm-hmm. um, and kind of when you're on that mantle nothing else matters I don't care what the audience, this is Joaquin Phoenix and Joker effectively. I don't care how people are going to interpret my performance. My job is to deliver what I feel when I interpret this character and just that. Um, Music for the most part, at least the way I approach it is I'm writing songs that I like, um, that make sense to me and using words that that communicate what I'm thinking or feeling. the other side of it is I'm creating content that panders or I'm creating content not necessarily that panders but I'm creating content that's audience focused. Mm. Um, I think that's kind of the question that you're asking right is that and I've seen it happen where artists kind of start on one end um, and then they get consumed by some big industry um, and then they're forced to their artistic voice just changes really drastically. Um, and it's kind of sad to see, but you know, especially with I think younger people, this ends up happening. With Justin Bieber, it's happened, and he's finally kind of broken out of it. Um, it's happened with uh, One Direction and Taylor Swift, and all of these people that kind of started out young, that wrote their own music, that tried to do self-expression, but then um, somebody came and kind of picked them up along the way, mm. um, and and then it changes, right? And so I think the conversation around responsibility is also the conversation around respect. Um, as an artist, what are you trying to do, um, right? And how desperate are you for your audience to even consume your art? How attached are you to the validation um, versus how attached do you are to the how attached are you to the creation of the art itself? Yeah, true. Um, I think another question that's like on the other end of the spectrum, and maybe like Shri can, because I I know like I kind of wanted to ask this in the terms of music, even though we're talking about movies, but if you can melt them together. So if you have like an hour, two hours every day to consume some sort of content, mm. and and I think this is true for a lot of people, you only have a limited time, and you have to choose, I know this is binary and doesn't always have to be binary, but let's just make it one that's more productive. If you could choose between something that is more going to be like artistic to listen to, it's not going to be an easy listen, it's not going to be something that's familiar, it's going to be something that's going to push the bounds of what you know and like, Versus listening to something or watching something that you know you're going to like it, you know it's going to be relaxing, you know it's going to be entertaining, you know what you're going to get. On average, like, which one do you think you're going to choose? Or if you're going to, if it's on a spectrum, how much of, wh- of which one? Because I think that's an important, um, like, what's the tolerance for each? Um, I, I, if I can go ahead first before Sarkisen gives his own response. Um, I find myself balancing between the two. Because after a point, you find yourself exhausted by um, listening to too much new stuff for one of two reasons. Either because it's just too challenging for you at this time and you really want to be listening to something you're comfortable and familiar with. Um, Or uh, I think the other reason why is just that it's just taste. I mean, the, the reason why I frankly do do it is because I like to go outside of my comfort zone. And there's also this sort of internal voice I have that's pushing me to try and listen to things that I know very few other people have uh, or other people just don't listen to. 
uh, in a way so that I can then, you know, tell other people, guess what, I listen to this and you don't, uh, in a, in a <laughs> funny way. Uh, but so I, I, sorry, I just remembered what the second reason was. Um, you might just be disappointed if you end up going out on a limb and listening to a lot of bad stuff that you come across. And you might just get exhausted listening to a lot of mediocre, uh, you know, content in your exploration. And then realize, as you just said, that in your limited time, you haven't actually utilized it to the best possible way that you could have. Uh, that being said, I think the risk that you end up taking uh, can give you rewards that only you will uh, realize. Um, and I'm I'm very satisfied with uh, with that reward. And one of those rewards being specifically that I can boast to listen to so many different genres uh, and so many different artists in those genres that most other people can't. And I'm very happy about that. I like listening to artists that I know that there are only 20 other people uh, in the world that I might ever meet who might listen to that music. And I, I, I sort of enjoy that aspect that there's a small group of us who like to listen to this and challenge ourselves in this way to find music like this. I would say that I'm much the opposite. Mm-hmm. Um, I also try to find balance, but I think the reasons tend to be very different and a lot of it is contingent upon my mood. I would say most of the time I'm trying to listen to stuff that I'm comfortable listening to, stuff that seems familiar and that I like. Um, Usually when I run out or when I'm in a mood that's very intentionally um, trying to engage in something new, I'll pick something up, which is why I have a lot of trouble Um, I think sifting through recommendations that I get from people, especially Srivatsan, because he's kind of this fount of, hey, Saak, listen to this, hey, Saak, consume this and that. Um, It's hard for me to keep up a lot of the time because most of the time I'm concerned with consuming things that are familiar to me or creating things that um, kind of align with a different kind of Um, thing. I I would actually like to ask this last sort of concluding um, question to both of you. Uh, you know, Saak being someone who is uh, in this age of creating content is trying to make music and is also part of this podcast, but also Avery as someone who who's sort of interested in this general conversation. Um, so as is written in the article, right, Scorsese is not saying that these kind of Marvel movies and these commercial movies uh, cannot coexist with the kind of movies that he and so many of these other people he admires make, but rather his worry is that this commercialization of his art form and with multiplexes and blockbuster movies should not squash the independent artistic voices and and remove any sort of way for them to continue to survive in whatever way that they can. Uh, He wants to protect the creativity and innovation in their art form and allow people to to tell stories and explore possibilities that they could do uh, without competition from large studio franchises. So, I personally, the way I see it is that Netflix and streaming services have actually managed to give them a much bigger audience and platform than they had thought before. Um, and with people like him and Noah Baumbach and even Alfonso Cuaron with Roma, them deciding to do these films which should have been put on screen, but deciding to release them, you know, with The Irishman, for example, onto streaming platforms. Um, do you think that it's really a problem because people can choose to watch their movies if they want to uh, on, on a streaming platform? So clearly the argument of pushing them out of the competition becomes a little weaker if it's only a matter of the choice of the consumer. And the second thing I would say is that there are movies like Uncut Gems by the Safdie brothers more recently, which after getting a lot of critical acclaim in the usual film festival circuit, 
they got a long theater release which is supposed to be limited but people loved it so much for how groundbreaking and adventurous it was in the way that it is telling that story that it ended up selling out for several nights and continued to stay in theaters for so long because it was so fresh and exciting so do you really think that small independent um people who have unique artistic voices are doomed in this age where there's so much access for people not just on those platforms but now even into the real world no i i completely agree with you and actually i the only thing i want to say has to do with how nasir said it right um because if he's willing to make the claim that the kind of content we are making has uh, made audiences want a certain thing then so be it you know what i mean like audiences if he's saying audiences are smart enough to figure things out for themselves um then we should give them that agency and allow them to find the independent artists which they're doing um and become independent artists themselves i think um there's enough rhetoric that goes around and there's enough um artists out there that are finding ways to support themselves um to work around kind of the bigger names in industries and there are um organizations like netflix and amazon that are trying to help independent artists along their way there's music uh, festivals that do this kind of thing there's film festivals that do this kind of thing and there are schools and can, like there's entire um factions of education that promote this kind of thing so i don't really think that there's um anything at stake necessarily i think the majority will keep changing its taste um and most often i think that the the most popular things will be the most accessible ones um and that's just a fact of life i don't think um artists who regard themselves highly should be bitter about it i couldn't have said it better i think that's important to have like discussions around like what you're consuming but i think that you're right you should attribute trust and to the to the consumer and there are ways i think that a lot of ways there are so many good films coming out and um yeah i i think that that that's not necessarily a bad thing and there's a lot of um good content along with the content that we are talking about marvel has a lot of good stuff in it so yeah not, i think the one one kind of argument really quick is just like that it, when you're not in the cinema it does change the viewing so since christy had to go to netflix it's different cuz you guys said like when you, this this experience yeah. you had in the cinema with people and you're you're mm-hmm. experiencing in the community it's different than sitting with like your one person yeah. and watching it that being said i don't think that's like a major 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 concern yeah so but i think in general when it comes to things maybe just like um television or music and i mean specifically for movies like his they often get promised a limited release in theaters along with their netflix release but the main question i wanted to ask you guys was you know what you addressed quite well um don't you think that this age of of digital and streaming has actually allowed people who would have never had a voice before uh, to get um, an audience that they would have never imagined you know with things like bandcamp and soundcloud for example you know mm-hmm. um, people who previously would not have had any way of without a large sum of money and backing behind them have an access to an audience they're now able to just put their stuff out there and they're able to to do whatever they want to do and be as free and and creative as they would like Yeah, I completely agree. I think Me that's too. something that's missing from a lot of these like this anxiety around Marvel is like, well, there's so many other ways to right. get stuff out there. Yeah. Um so yeah, I guess uh, with that we will conclude this wonderful conversation we've had this week. Um and we can move into the recommendations and I'm going to ask Avery to start us off. 
Just like one recommendation, just one thing. That, mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I think one thing that I, I keep like coming back to is this website called Brain Pickings. I don't know if either of you. It's like it's basically like taking either like books or authors or just like philosophers and their work and like condensing it down into like one article. So like mm-hmm. this, and it has quotes from the author and it's like tying into to more modern stuff. It's just like a nice way to like just consume something that's like. In a, in a very like tangible way it has a bunch of different people on it mm-hmm. uh, i check it out i really enjoy some of the stuff and it's really easy it's not like you need like a bunch of background to understand the stuff cool mm-hmm. um mine i actually just binge watched um indian matchmaking on netflix and i can't stop thinking or talking about it um and in some ways it goes back to our uh, one of our conversations around kitsch but also um Overall, it's just one of these shows that I think puts a mirror to what as South Asians are more than familiar with in the circles that surround us. But also, you and I kind of um, in in the weird kind of transitional stage that we're in, um, moving from kind of the college student to the professional and from our uh, pre-20s to now our 20s and, you know, adult life as we know it, but also seeing other people make those changes into married life, outside of bachelorhood, into partnership. Um, and navigating kind of family and personal conflict and um, in a lot of ways I have found myself re-evaluating how I think about um, many of our cultural norms what I think of arranged marriage specifically and I think that this show um, reminded me of a lot of the good things and a lot of the bad things that um, kind of exist around the culture of arranged marriage and societal pressure um, for partnership in India. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, my recommendation is uh, it's an album from 1979 by a band called Swell Maps. They're a British band. Um, I can't remember from where in Britain, uh, but they're not from London. They're somewhere in Middle England. Uh, and the album is called A Trip to Marineville. Uh, it's basically, I would say, one of the seminal post-punk albums that was kind of a little bit ahead of its time and kind of a little bit underappreciated. But many of the bands that cite this as a source of inspiration went on to have huge amount of successes, uh, including people like The Fall and Sonic Youth. Uh, and I think some of the, the sound palettes and the experimentation in terms of um, uh, the song length and the uh, noise passages and the, the, the use of um, guitar uh, in very interesting ways is definitely uh, ahead of their time. Uh, And yeah, I guess with that we can end uh, this week's episode. Uh, Once again, I'd like to thank Avery so much for agreeing to be our first guest on this podcast. Uh, Thanks for for having me. It was great. Yeah. And for your uh, choice of topic, which I think has definitely led to uh, a lot of very interesting insights and connections within this conversation and across conversations we've all had together. Once again, don't forget to check us out on Twitter at the rate Wo Buddies, uh, B-U-D-D-I-E-S. Um, and we'll have links up. We're on Spotify and Apple Music. And we also have our recommendations up on Twitter. Um, so check that out too if you're interested in exploring anything that we talk about further. And um, with that, I think... Uh, we can say goodbye. Uh, thank you once again to everyone who has been supporting and listening to our podcast. We really appreciate it. And we'll see you next week with the next episode.